Well, this is kind of a cool setup up here. It's like being on an episode of VH1 Storytellers or something like that, yeah? Well, how's everybody doing tonight? Man, are you a sight for sore eyes. I'm so glad to see you all again. And uh, we got a little bit of a special evening here tonight. This is my friend Phil Harden. And Phil... Phil is going to step into our young adult pastor role here at the Lamb's Chapel, very first foray into young adults ministry. And so he's joining me tonight and uh, a little bit of a different feel tonight. You don't have a handout with fill in the blanks. You do have a handout, uh, but it's, it's this fill in the blank. And so, uh, yeah, you could just write whatever strikes your fancy, but we're going we're gonna to get comfy over here. Hey, how, how bad do you think the worship team wanted to sit in these chairs? I'm, I'm, oh, they said, yeah, did you hear that? <laughs> They're back there like, yeah! Anyway, well, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to have a Bible study. Is that okay with you guys? Let's just open the Word of God together. Uh, Phil and I, and of course, what Phil's going to be doing with Young Adults Ministry, he's going to spend a lot of time in, in, in coffee houses. All right, so this is to make you guys feel jealous and hopefully uh, stir up a little buzz about maybe putting a coffee shop in this place or something. But anyway, uh-oh, what have I done now? Um, I did hear a few claps. Yeah, I wonder if the elders heard those. Anyway, oh, it was the elders. <laughs> well, we're going to uh, we're going to have a Bible study because that's really what Phil's going to be doing. He's going to spend a lot of time in coffee houses with with young adults. And tonight we're looking at a passage, and you can turn with us to the book of Mark, chapter ten. And there's a story there that we're going to dive into tonight. And I want to begin just by reading this text from top to bottom. We're going to start in Mark ten, verse seventeen. I think we've got this text on the screen. And it says in verse 17 that as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. (sighs) Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And that's our text. And we're going to dive into that and just kind of study it together. Yeah, I'm ready. All right, let's pray before we do that, okay? Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm just so grateful to be here with Phil and with the rest of our TLC family, God. And I just pray that you'll do what you always do when we open the Word of God, that you will speak to us by the Spirit that is in us. May we interpret what is there. May we find an application, God. And may we be blessed and encouraged by the reading of your Word and our understanding of it. And we pray your blessings upon us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I, I love the text that we're looking at tonight, Phil, yes. and I, I know this is special to you. Yeah. Uh, why does this particular text speak to you? Yeah, this to me is an exciting text for us, especially for young adults. When I see this passage, we read it and we talk about this man I see so much of myself and other young adults in this very text. In fact, this is one of the most commonly recorded interactions that Jesus has with another person, right? This this is what I find super fascinating about it is that there are three gospels that contain this. Mm. We've got Mark, obviously, right? right? That's when we're in. And we've got Matthew, right? And then we've got Luke. All three of those, they build this, this picture of the rich young ruler, as we'll find out, right? More about him, this young man that's rich, that's got all kinds of attributes, but the way that we draw those attributes is is by really looking at all three of those passages. That's really one of the cool things about the Gospels, that that we've got multiple Gospels, and so we've got this privilege of of being able to see events from different vantage points and putting them all together and piecing together our understanding. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I love about those different accounts is they each give us something, right? Uh, Matthew is going to give us a particular, particular phrase. And we'll get into that in here in a second. Mark focuses on how wealthy this guy is, right? The, the richness of it. Luke's got another aspect of it. And so we learn so many different things just by looking at those three different accounts. And the first thing that we learn, which I think is, is the most obvious, is what? That he's, he's young, all right? He's got youth on his side. And, and, and so he, he's not... He's not a child, okay. right? He's not, not an infant, obviously. And he's not a, an older man. Yeah. And so he's, he's somewhere in between, and we've got to sift out where he's at. Matthew gives us a really good clue, right? He uses a word, and this is, this is my Greek. You ready for this? I'm ready for your Greek. Right, bring it, right. brother. Ne ani ni kos. No, That's ne, what it is. Nabisco? Wait. No, no, no. Ne Nay, neaniskos. Neaniskos. is it's a term that, that Matthew uses specifically to describe this man. He he wants them to have a, a clear idea of who he is. And this word it would refer to somebody who is in their mid twenties, right? Well, that that's your demographic, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Right. This is a mid twenties. He's younger, and there are other ways that we can pull away this this fact that he's young. We can look into verse seventeen. We can watch his actions, mm-hmm. right? Let's read this. Verse 17, it says, and as he was setting out, right? Jesus, he's heading out on his journey. Uh, Jerusalem is his destination. But as he's setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him mm. and asked him, good teacher, mm. what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and this is so fascinating because he approaches Jesus in an unusual manner, He's running, he kneels down, and he asks a question, but not just any question. He, it does sound like the actions of a young person to yeah. run up to somebody. The older I get, the less running I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need to run. Uh, <laughs> but he, but he, comes with, he comes with a question. Yes, he comes with a question. <clears throat> and the question that he asks is of a religious nature, right? And, and it's a religious question that he brings, Generally, you wouldn't find an older Jewish man coming and presenting religious questions mm-hmm. to a rabbi. But that's you know, what he does. I, I worked with young adults for years. Yeah. And I found them to be inquisitive. Like, right? they had a lot of questions. Now, you guys have a lot of questions. We know that from some of our Q&As. Yeah. But I would say that young people in particular are more prone to be asking questions, like, yeah. in a public setting uh, sometimes, especially in church circles or religious circles, the older you get, the less inclined you are to kind of pop those questions out because you don't want people to know that, that there are things that you don't know. Right, right, right. And this guy is coming with a question, which I, I find very, very uh, much in keeping with young adults that I've worked with. Yes. Unashamed, yeah. right? Unashamed, willing to ask, willing <clears throat> to seek, and we'll get into all that. But, but not only is, is he young, but he has possessions. Okay. Right? He's got lots of stuff. And we see that at the end of the text. Yeah. Uh, some texts re- refer to him as a rich young ruler, the rich young man. We know he's rich. That's what we know. Now, do you, do you find that to be a commonality with the group that you're going to be working oh, we with? we got loads of money. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that being the case when yeah. I was a young adult. Oh, man. Uh, it's changed. Has it changed? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. No, it's, it's not a commonality in that sense, right? But the, the fact that he has wealth in their day looks very different than wealth in our day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Globally speaking, Americans are pretty well off, right? Well, that's true. And, I, you know, I got to say, though, even though most young adults would not be what we might consider rich mm-hmm. or wealthy— when you hit your 20s, maybe you're holding down a job for the first time. Uh, I remember suddenly having disposable income. Yeah. It, wasn't a, it wasn't a lot. What'd you spend it on? No comment. Anyway, <laughs> I, I do think that for the first time, they are, they're facing a reality where they've got their own stuff. Yeah. They're not living in mom and dad's house anymore. They've Absolutely. got their own belongings, their Absolutely. own things that are important to them. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and not only is he, he rich, but he's accustomed to when he sees something, he desires it, he wants it, 
with his financial means, he can acquire it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? He can get it. If he wants it and he's like, man, that's, that's out there for the taking. I've got the money. I've got the resources. I have the status. I'll take that. Yeah. I'll put my resources to that and obtain it. Right. And so he, he's coming to <clears throat> Jesus and he's genuinely looking to acquire eternal life. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. His heart, it appears genuine. I think it's genuine. Right. He's seeking. Uh, what does the scripture say? It tells us uh, that he runs up and he says, uh, good teacher, calls him good teacher. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think he's got respect for Christ. The fact that he runs to him shows that he's, he's genuinely seeking truth. Yeah, he, yeah. He's looking for something. Uh, he kneels before him. I, I think that shows sincerity. Um, and, and I don't think this is something that everybody in that crowd of that day would have done, would, no. have, would have kind of cast dignity aside to go and to seek truth from Christ. But he addresses him with, with reverence. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's an important question. Yeah. It's an unusual question. It is an unusual question. And when we were looking through this, yeah. you, me and you sat down initially, and, and you brought that to my attention, just how unusual the question was. Not just the fact that we can pull away some things like his age and infer yeah. stuff from it, but it's, it's unusual for another reason. Do you remember why you said that was? Well, it, it's unusual because this guy's Jewish. This is, this is uh, Jerusalem there. And so the Jews did not spend a lot of time thinking about the afterlife. Yeah. If you look at the Old Testament, there's not a lot in there about heaven and hell. There's just not. It's kind of this nebulous you know, mindset of when I die, I'll go down to Sheol or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but they did not think about eternal life. That just wasn't it. In fact, in the, in the, in, there, were, there, were, uh, there was the sect of the Pharisees. There was the sect of the uh, Sadducees in Judaism of that day. The Sadducees, which was the dominant sect... In the Sanhedrin, for example, they did not believe in a resurrection. Yeah. Which, which the joke is, that's why they were sad, you see. Yeah, yeah. man. But they did not that's a tough spend one, a lot. I know. I'm, I'm additional. <laughs> I've had a whole vacation to think of these dad jokes. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but this is, this is a unique question because of that whole eternal life aspect. Yeah. It is. And when I, I see this strange question being posed, I, I can't think of anything other than the fact that this guy has a misunderstanding yeah. of, of what it means to have eternal life, mm. to, to receive it. And in fact, I think like many first century Jews, he's operating out of the old covenant. And that's not a bad thing, right? Like there's, there's merit, there's good in that. Sure. But, but I think he's, he's missed the point and he summed it up like this. This is a phrase we can just sum it up. Uh, if you do good, you'll be rewarded. Right. If you do bad, you'll be punished. And, and, and there's some truth there's, to that. There's truth, right? There's merit to that. That's great. But is that talking about eternal life? It's not. No. No. It's not talking about eternal life. It's, these are good things. They're not bad things. The law comes from God. God yeah. is good. But the point of the law is what? To reveal our need. Yes. And so he's, he's got it to a complete misunderstanding of it. And, yeah. and he thinks that if I can just keep obtaining and doing and yeah. getting, I can get there, right? Yeah. He, he's got a misunderstanding. But everything about his actions just seem a little off to me. Mm. And if we were bystanders during that time and day, I think we would observe this as a kind of a, a weird situation. Yeah. I, I imagine a man picking up his, uh, what do they call them, tunics? Just yeah. Like get them above his, his little ankles and just tiptoe and run into Jesus. Yeah. And, and he's just taken off. It's, it's really awkward. You and I look funny running in normal clothes. Yeah, I it's can true. only imagine what this guy looks like. <laughs> so he goes, to, he goes to Christ. He asks an odd yeah. question. You know what they yeah. say? You ask an odd question, get... Well, in Jesus' case, you get another odd question. Yeah, no Right, because he was prone no to answering questions with questions. So in verse 18, we see, it says, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? Hmm. Remember that what, what the young man said. He said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus doesn't go straight for the, the answer of the question no, never. about eternal life. He says, because the guy called him a good teacher. He says, right. why, do you, why do you call me good? Yeah. So he's trying to get the young man to think about something that's very, very important uh, to his pursuit of the truth. Why do you call me good? And then he says, no one is good except God alone. Implication. 
if I'm good and only God is good, right. what does that say about me? Hmm. He's, trying to, he's trying to draw this young man to the conclusion that he is God. Right. There is a subtle claim to deity right here. Yeah. And so now that we've established that, yeah, yeah. now I'm going to answer your question. And so he proceeds in verse 19. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Yeah. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And then the young man said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. What do you think about that response? <laughs> Every time I read this, I feel like that is a bold claim. That's pretty cocky. Right? Like, yeah. That, if so, that's a pretty solid resume. Right, but, but that's uh, yeah. a that's a bold claim. Do you think he's being honest? Uh, I think he thinks he's being honest. Hmm. I mean, I think he believes yeah. he's telling the truth. You know, like you or me or, I do that or, a lot. or Donald Trump or whoever. <laughs> I think that we believe what we're right, saying right. is right on the money. You know, <laughs> right? Uh, but if you take a closer look at the commandments that Jesus quotes here, is that all the commandments? No. 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 How many did he list? Six. There's six. Six. How many in the Decalogue? Ten. There's ten commandments. And these, which six are these? The last six. Yeah. The so last. the first four, uh, well, those all deal with God, don't they? Yes. Uh, you know, love the Lord your God. Uh, you'll have no other gods before me. You'll have no graven images. Keep the Sabbath. Right. So we've said this before in here. We've got this phrase that, that churches use a lot, love God, love people. Yeah. And really, that's, as we've said, that's a summary of the law. Right. A summation of the Ten Commandments. It is. The first four being our love for God. The last six, these Absolutely. that Jesus mentions, that's our love for people, yeah. for one another. So uh, well, I think at the very least, this man believes he's kept these yeah. specific commandments, right? And more precisely, Jesus only asked him about the ones mm. that he's kept. Yeah. And essentially, the way that it looks to me yeah. is that Jesus has given him a, a quiz, a quiz that he could not fail. <laughs> and I love those. Oh, yeah, those are, those are good. <laughs> those are great. Those are good. His response is, all these I have kept. Right, right. Yes. All these. All these. I, I mean... If, in fact, these are the ones that he's nailed, yeah. he's pretty happy. He's probably sure. got a, a sigh of relief in his head. You know, oh, man, I'm sure glad he didn't ask me about those others. Right. <laughs> uh, am I in luck? So uh, what happens next? Well, I, I think I, I just I find it fascinating that he's, he's at least confident about the fact that mm -hmm. he's kept those. Yeah. But it's clear that he's struggling with mm -hmm. at least one of those other four. Okay. All right. The ones that speak to his relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And what happens next in this verse brings me a sense of relief. Right? I always get a sense of relief when I look into verse 21. Let's look at verse 21 together. It says, and Jesus looking at him loved him. Man, I've always got that's, a sense of relief. That's for that. a cool turn of phrase. Yeah. I... I don't yeah. know what it is about it, but when Jesus says, I love you, or when he looks at us with love, man, there's, there's just something special about that. In fact, I, I want you to look at your neighbors, look at them real quick, get a good eye, all right? Now tell them, no matter what, Jesus loves you. <laughs> all right, now, now that you've told them Jesus loves them, say, even when you mess up, Jesus loves you, right? <laughs> no matter how many commandments you've broken today, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus loves you. I've kept all six of these. Have you kept all six no, of these? No, probably not. Uh, I don't know about <laughs> I'm going to ask, ask your office mate. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. All right, so I, I like this because there's not a low that we can sink to that Jesus doesn't love us. Mm. All right, there you is guys no glad about low. that? Yeah, uh, it, it just, that's why I have this sense of relief is that there is no low, this man, you, I could have went down to that Jesus doesn't love us. Mm -hmm. And it's obvious that he doesn't have it all together. 
Even if his resume holds true and he's kept those six, something else is floundering. Something else isn't there. Mm. But what's beautiful is that turn of phrase. He looked at him and loved him. And I like it because it's a, it's a mix of what Jesus always does. He brings truth and grace in every situation. Uh, we see it with the woman at the well. We see it with this guy. There is this mixture of truth and grace that Jesus is perfectly dispensing at all times. I, I kind of struggle with that. Do you? Yeah. We kind of, you guys experience that? You, you slip into a mode. You're yeah. either in truth mode or grace mode. Yeah, yeah. And Jesus is like perfectly operating in both of those facets at the same time. Where where do you find yourself more often than not? Truth Uh, or grace? Ask me tomorrow. Anyway, (laughs) I'm going to ask your wife. (laughs) You ask my wife. (laughs) Yeah. But I love that it's that perfect mixture, right? Only Jesus does that. But he does follow it up with some truth right here. Yes. And here's the truth. If we keep reading, it says, and said to him, you lack one thing. Mm. You lack one thing. Mm. All right. So you told your neighbors, Jesus loves them. No matter what, Jesus loves them. But now I need you to look at your neighbors and do one more thing for me. Look at them, get your eyes on them again and tell them you lack one thing. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell them what the one thing is (laughs) because you don't know. Yeah. We, we can do that after. We pray for you. We'll have people up here. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know what Phil's one thing is? Don't, don't tell him, Scott. This is green tea. No. <laughs> anyway. Man. Yeah, I tried coffee. It's, it's okay. Don't, um, don't say anymore. Okay. <laughs> you might ruin your reputation. I already have. It's okay. <laughs> but even though, I don't know what your one thing is. And you guys know that it's, it's between you and the Lord. But what about this young man? Yeah, what about this guy? What is his? So Jesus, as he's continuing yeah. to perfectly dispense grace and truth, here comes mm-hmm. the truth. He says, you lack one thing. Mm-hmm. Go sell all that you have mm-hmm. and give to the poor. Mm-hmm. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come mm-hmm. and come follow me. All right, I read this, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> and, and sometimes I get a little bit uh, uh, uncomfortable <laughs> because of the direction that a lot of people take this text. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Some people become red letter people where right. they only want to look at the words of Jesus and, and nothing else in the scriptures matter. And, and so they apply those literally to their lives. But I also think we look at this and we do some other things with it. Yeah, right? so, so if you were to take that at face value, yeah, here, yeah. the guy's asking, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Keep these commands, done, done, mm-hmm. done. Yeah. Ah, one thing you lack, go sell all you have, give to the poor, and then you'll have eternal life. I mean, if you've taken that at face value, what are we to conclude? Right. That to go to heaven, you gotta take a vow of poverty. Yeah. Is that what it's saying, Scott? Is that what it's saying? Well, of course not. Yeah. Is Jesus saying that self-imposed poverty is the key to eternal life? No. Well, just logically, I would say no. Right. Because he's telling him not just to get rid of what you have, but to give it to the poor. Yeah, yeah. Well, if poverty is the key to heaven, the poor are already good, man. Yeah, don't mess it up, Scott. Now you've messed up heaven for these <laughs> poor people. Giving them yeah. all of your stuff. Oh, so man. that's silly. Right? Like, why help them if being poor is the ticket that's, into heaven? That's right. Well, that's because Jesus' focus here is not, is not really on the poor. Right. His focus is on this young man. Yeah. Because he can see right into his soul. Man looks on the outside. God looks on the heart. Christ had this, this holy x-ray vision he could see right into this young man's soul and he knew that this young man's preoccupation was with this life yeah this life right here he knows it and he knows right away this is a wealthy young man he's got material possessions Uh, but in addition the words of this young man indicate that even though his objective is eternal life his focus on how to obtain it has to do with this life yeah for sure what do I do to inherit it? He's focused right? on the here and now. Yeah, what must I do? 
Uh, all these I have kept. He, he's coming with the right concern, but the means to that concern are very physical, very temporal, very earthly. And so he's got that bent. He's got the wrong approach because he's assuming that the way he's going to garner eternal life is going to be the same way he's approached every other thing mm-hmm. in this life. Yeah. And so that's why you got Jesus saying, give away all you have. Yeah. Let's, let's test your desire for eternal life. Let's, let's see yeah. what, what's the big obstacle keeping you from eternity. And, and it's, it's like playing a game of Jenga. Oh, a game <laughs> you, of what? You like Jenga? That's the tower thing where you yeah, build yeah, a yeah. little yeah, block. Yeah. Oh, yeah, blocks. Jenga. I'm good with blocks. Yeah, so You're it, block it. Absolutely. <laughs> but it, it's like playing that game of Jenga. And, and you know how really petty people will pull from the bottom, right? <laughs> like, they want the tower to crumble as, as quickly as possible. Well, it, it's like his tower is already missing every piece except for that one at the bottom. <laughs> And when Jesus says, give away all that you have, it's like he pulled away it all comes down. the bottom. Yeah, and, yeah. and everything comes yeah. crumbling down. Yeah. And it's, it's clear that it's not necessarily the focus on him being wealthy. Mm. Right? Like that's not what Jesus is getting at. It's not that wealth is bad and evil, yeah. but it's the value that he's placed on it. He's built a little tower. He has. Dang, that's good. He's built an idol. Wow. You're smart. All right. <laughs> so it's his idol, right? And, and as scripture does, it always interprets itself. This is what I love about scripture is that it will interpret itself. And so if we go into Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, we can see exactly what Jesus thinks about the situation. It says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one, right? He'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot yeah. serve God and money. Hmm. Like you said, this is an issue of idolatry. Yeah. It's not just the wealth, it's the idolatry. You know, I, I think that we struggle pondering idolatry. Yeah. Because we look at idolatry in Jesus' day or in the Old Testament and we don't see ourselves as ever dabbling in anything right. like that because we, yeah. don't, we don't visit a temple and we don't kneel before a statue and we don't light incense. Right, I right. hope we don't. Uh, <laughs> right. And all that. But do we have idols in our life? Oh, yeah. Are there things? Now, what is the definition of an idol? Like if it's not a statue or a tower or a ziggurat or a pyramid or something like that. Yeah. Um, I heard, I heard a definition by, by someone once. He said, an idol is anything that you spend more time thinking about than you do God. Yeah, that's right? convicting. Now, we can kind of sporadically engage in idolatry. It doesn't have yeah, to be yeah. all, all the time. Right. Like when you come in here on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, for however long you're here, Christ can be front and center for you. You know, when you have your quiet time in the morning for the 15 to 30 minutes or whatever it is that you spend with God, he's first and foremost in your mind. But the rest of the time that you go about your day, there are a number of things that can come into your, your line yeah. of sight that, that kind of take over. Yeah. And they take that top spot. And, and you are a temporary idolater. I really think that we're yeah. all guilty of that from time to I time. I do too. And I think that's exactly what this guy is, is doing in this text. Yeah. And it's that his, his wealth, his possessions, the yeah. things that he can obtain have become more important mm-hmm. than the person of Jesus. And it, man, it breaks my heart because what happens next is it's confirmation of him deciding that idol is still more important than Jesus. We look in verse 22 of Mark chapter 10. Verse 22, it says, disheartened by the saying, Jesus told him, give away all that you have. He says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, Mm. for he had great possessions. Mm. And man, I see this. And I see see a young man who has made both simultaneously the the worst decision of his life and the best decision of his life. So he, he decides... To, to abandon his pride, run up to Jesus, kneel before him, mm-hmm. and, and just ask away about eternal life. Yeah. Seeking, genuinely seeking Jesus. Yeah. The best decision this guy has ever made. 
Yeah. And then when Jesus responds, he makes the worst decision yeah. he's ever made. And I think sincere people who, yeah. who are genuinely seeking truth are capable of walking away mm-hmm. from it when they count the cost. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But Jesus, uh, as he is prone to do, he, 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 um, he doesn't let a teaching moment go to waste. And so this guy walks away. Well, he's got, other, he's got some other young guys around him. And so he turns to them, and we see in verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And so when I think of young adults that right. I have dealt with, uh, some of the young adults who are here tonight that I've met on the weekends, that you've already interacted with, when I think of the commonality and the similarities that they have to this young man, it's not just because they're young, it's not just because they have you know, money to burn. Yeah. It's not just because they're seeking truth. I look at this story. I think this story, there's something about it. I think this is the most American story yeah. in the Bible. For sure. Right? Yeah. I mean, Throw uh, a cheeseburger in there, man. there's so many distractions that we have. Yeah. I mean, even, even the fact of, that we can all identify with this guy on some level in terms of having possessions. Yeah. Even if you're poor, in America, that is not poor compared to other places. No. This is the only country where our homeless people have cell phones, okay? Yeah. I mean, we, it's true. we got stuff. We have, we have things yeah. that distract us from, from, from the one who can yeah. provide lasting eternal things. Yeah. And, and uh, so we've all got this propensity to be materialistic and to we walk do. away from Christ. We do. And, and when I, I read through this passage, we examine it, I walk away with an understanding that it's, it's not about that stuff. It's not about the possessions, but it is about you mean, the value. You mean possessions are not bad is what you're saying? Right, right. In and of themselves. Right. It, it's like that's, yeah. that's not what Jesus is targeting. When he says to give it all away, he, he's not saying if you get free of this stuff, yeah. you'll be good. Right. Right? Uh, it, it is about the value in which this young man has placed on those possessions. It's his God. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? And, and so it's, and again, we don't have to make it about just money or material things. Mm-hmm. Our, our culture, it, it places value, undue value on all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It, it could be our, our, our status mm-hmm. and influence, our fame, all these things that are they're temporary and they're yeah. temporal in nature. Our reputation, uh, personal looks, right? it creeps into every facet of, of the church. I, I would say definitely the I church. Think definitely can happen. It, it creeps yeah. into our workplaces, yeah. Regardless, all these things are temporary mm-hmm. in, in their nature. Yeah. And what Jesus says next to this young man gives us an idea of how grave or grim the situation nice. really is. Nice. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Verse 24 says this, And the disciples were amazed at his words. Mm. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So Jesus here gives an extreme example, which he's prone to doing. Right. Right. Uh, he's, he's a rabbi. He's, he's teaching. This is what he does. He teaches using hyperboles and other different forms uh, of communication. But, but this one is, is really extreme. He, he's talking about a camel going through the eye of a needle. A camel to them is probably the, the largest animal that they have uh, common interaction with. Right. right. There are bigger animals on the earth than a camel. But this is a, a big animal that they would have common interaction with. Sure. And, and a needle... They're really hard to thread, even with a piece of string. Yeah. I can't can't do it. I mean, I'm not good. And and so you've got a literal impossibility that Jesus is setting up. Yeah. And and he's he's conveying this impossibility because I think he knows exactly what he's doing. Right. It's a setup for his disciples to ask another question. They do. Right? And and the question that they ask is found in verse 26. Says, and then they were exceedingly astonished. His disciples are taken back. Like, man, what is he talking about? And said to the, said to him, they're saying to Jesus, then who can be saved? 
You know, when I, when I hear Jesus say something that extreme, like, yeah. uh, you know, it's easier for a camel to, to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person enter the kingdom of God. You, you know, we hear Jesus say things like that, and we think, well, he doesn't really mean that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, like you said, it's hyperbole. Right, right. He's, what he's doing is he's, he's and, and because that's impossible. He doesn't really mean mm. that it's impossible. Uh, no, I think that's what he means. Oh, for sure. I think that's what he means because yeah. he is setting up that response. Yes. Well, then who's got a chance? Right. What, what, what chance do any of us have? And then look at his response. Right, right. Verse 27, uh, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, with man it yeah. is impossible, but. 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 Thank God for the but. Yes. <laughs> Woo! We need that little word right there. Yes, we do. Because that's where all of our hope is. He says, but not with God, yeah. for all things are possible with God. Yes. You guys glad about that? Yeah. Our God is the God of the impossible. Yes. And so, you know, when they say, I'm going to be good enough to get into heaven. Yeah. He says, no, you're not. Not at all. Well, I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> it's pointless. It's pointless. But all things are possible. You can't. I can't. Right. That's what he's saying. Absolutely. And so we see then Peter, uh, he begins to say, and this is, you know, we've talked about this in a recent message because this, this sets up a parable that we looked at just a few weeks ago. Yes. Um, another guy that asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But totally insincere from the get-go. Yep, different time. But Peter asked this question here. He began, or he doesn't ask the question. He says uh, to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Yeah. He's making this observation. This guy's got great possessions. He walks away. Yeah. Peter says, well, we've We've left everything right. and followed you. Lord, what, everything you just asked that man to do, we've done. And they literally did. Yeah. Like their everything was fishing. He says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They didn't follow him and bring the boat with them. Right. It was still there. They right. left their nets yeah. on the shore and off they went. And so fishing took all day. They left it to follow Christ. Matthew was a tax collector, which meant he was wealthy. Yeah. He walked away from it all. Uh, all of these guys left something to follow Jesus. Uh, was, I'll ask you, was, was, this, was Jesus asking this young man to do anything that he hadn't asked the 12 to do? No, no. I mean, they, they gave up everything, right? Their jobs, their families. Mm -hmm. Peter might have done it because he lived with his mother-in-law, it was incentive. It was incentive. I, I, uh, I'm detecting a little <laughs> real life experience over here. <laughs> but but all sorts of things. They they all left something in order to follow Jesus. They all gave up something. Yeah. And right. it was about making Jesus the preeminent thing in their lives. Yeah. And Jesus confirms that in the next okay. couple of verses. Here in verse 29 and verse 30, Jesus said, "Truly I say to you." There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Hold up. <laughs> this is a verse that gets misused all the time. No doubt. You give this, and you will receive back. Yeah. I'm a televangelist, man. Man, I'm seeing, <laughs> I'm seeing the prosperity teacher up there yeah, now, the buddy. toupee and everything. This is that faith movement, you know. <laughs> and I think our, our propensity is yeah. to focus on what we get. Yeah. And you just rattled off a whole lot of stuff, right? You're going to yeah. receive back... You know, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, but then the next line is with persecutions. Ooh, that changes it. Oh well, you know, you can hold that, Lord. I don't <laughs> need that. Keep Give that me everything one. else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hold the persecutions. Right. But the fact is there's a cost to this life. Yeah. There's a cost, man. There's a blessing, but there's also a persecution. There is. And all twelve of these guys are gonna know about that at some point. They're all going to suffer martyrdom and persecution. But he says, with persecution and in the age to come, it, 
eternal life. And that's, that's what it's all about. And that was what the young man was asking about. Yeah. But he didn't stick around long enough to really learn about it. He says, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, you can teach this strictly as a salvation message. Yeah. I've heard it like that many I've times. I've heard it like that a lot of times, too. I, I think it's more nuanced than that. Mm-hmm. Because I, well, first of all, Christ, has Christ gone to the cross yet at this no, point? No. He's heading to Jerusalem. Yeah. So <laughs> we could have some foretaste about salvation here. Yeah. But there's been no atonement yet. Right. And so it's not like this young man's going to pray a prayer and get saved right here. No. Nah. Okay, this is about fellowship. Um, and so there's been no work on, on the cross at Calvary or anything like that. This young man, is, he's Jewish, God's chosen people, and he's obviously followed the law. He's said as much. He's followed all the commands that Christ has listed here. He's presumably gone to the temple. He's made sacrifice for his sin. Uh, he's been true to that system. He's probably tithed. He's lived out his religion. Yeah. Okay? But what we're looking at here today, I don't think this is simply a salvation message. I think this is a message about good versus great. Yeah. Good versus great. Uh, the world looks at a guy like this says, that's a good man right there. Yeah. That's a fine young man. This is a sincere man. And he is saying, I want more. I want more of God. Uh, you ever say that? All the time, man. You guys ever say that? I need to say it more often. I want more. There's got to be more, more to this life. We all want to experience more. You ever, you experience that? Yeah. Yeah. All the time, man. I see this passage and I see what's taking place, this desire for more, seeking after him. And it reminds me of myself and so many people that I've been interacting with. I mean, I could rattle off names and I can see them sitting out here. It's like, we just want so much more of Jesus. We want everything. Our hearts are crying out for more of God. And so many of us, we've been to church, yeah. right? We've, we've prayed the prayers. We, we've, we've lifted our voices as, as loud as they would get. Yeah. We've done everything that we could and we've lived a, a decently good life. Yeah. And we've bought into and experienced everything that the American church has to offer. Yeah. But we feel disillusioned. We feel like we're missing out on something. Right. We feel like there's got to be more. And, and, and I'm in that camp, right? Like we're all in that camp. So many of us are genuinely and sincerely seeking after Jesus, wanting something more. That's awesome. Like, like Scott said, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. And I have a million answers as to why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. But I want to know, Scott, what do you, what do you think? I think that we are uh, often faced with uh, a chasm between good and great. Yeah. And a lot of us live on this side of the chasm, and this is where the good is. Right, right. You know, you go through the motions, mm-hmm. you do all the things, you sing all the songs, you know all the verses, yeah. you've been on the mission trips. Right. Yeah. But on the other side of that chasm is great. Yeah. That's what I think, you know. That's, and so it's good. How do you get to the other side? What's the key to the other side? Yeah, I think when I'm looking at this, we, we desire, we're desiring more. Our hearts are crying out for more. But it's not even necessarily that same tone all day long. Mm-hmm. I think at some point, our desire for more and greater and, and, and wild experience for Jesus turns into... I deserve more. We go from I desire more to I deserve more. Uh, that sounds like where this young man is at. Yeah, right. It, it's, he's a, it's a trying to of obtain entitlement. Yes, he's a, trying what, to. What can obtain. I achieve? What can he do? Here's the stuff he's brought to the table. This is his resume. Yeah. Right, God, what do you have for me now? Right, I deserve more. I've earned it. I've, I've prayed mm-hmm. the prayers. I've went on the mission trips. I've been to mm-hmm. church. I've experienced all the things I could possibly experience. Right. I, I deserve more. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that entitlement is, right. is part of that barrier of idolatry that's keeping them from getting to the other side. And, and I think this man's sincere, but I think you can be sincere like you're talking about and you can be wrong. 
Yeah. Right? You can be sincere and, and think that you deserve it, but your actions are not going to determine the outcome. So what, right? what's, what are we really talking about here? Yeah. I think when he says, you lack one thing, I think it's that this man is so busy holding on to his stuff that he can't reach out to take hold of his Savior. Right? right? He's so busy holding on to what he thinks is valuable that he can't see the infinite worth of Christ right in front of him. Mm-hmm. I think that's where he's at. And like always, when we see this text, Peter makes a comment and he says, well, we did that. Right. right? We did that, Jesus. We did that. Remember that? We left the, the fortune that we had of all those fish out on the shore and, and we could have paid off the, the debt from the business. I don't yeah. know what he'd have done. Yeah. But you know, he Moved out of mother-in-law's house? Yes. <laughs> but man, it, it, it's, it's a difference between the disciples and this man. I look at Peter and he's right. Yes, they've given up all those things. This other man, he, he, he's not willing to do it. He walks away disheartened, right? Yeah. Sorrowful. And the surrender of the disciples mm. is what took place, right? That was the thing. They were willing to surrender all. And this man is not willing to let go of it. I desire more yeah, yep. versus I surrender all. Yes. The difference between good and great. Yes. And, and I think that Jesus is saying... Yeah. To us, he desires every part of us, not just the Sunday morning, not just when it's convenient, not just when life is perfect, but Jesus wants every part of us at every day and every hour in every area. And that's what it means to be surrendered. So when we we study the Bible, at some point we're going to ask a question, mm-hmm. what's the application here? Is yeah. there a practical application for me? So what is that here? Well, you're talking about surrender. Yeah, right. So if, if I'm going to apply surrender in my life, I need to ask, I need to, do, I need to put the microscope on me, and I need to ask, what is the one thing, or maybe it's two things, three things, four things, yeah. what am I holding on to right. dearly? What, what have I not surrendered yeah. To God, what area is it? Is it, is it my job? Is it my belongings? Yeah. Is it my relationship? Right. Is it my status in the eyes of others? Is it wealth? What is it that I need to surrender to the Lord? Yeah. Uh, and am I willing to do that? Right. He asked this young man, one thing you lack, you got to go and you got to sell all you have. Like he knew yeah. what that obstacle was for him. Yeah. Between good and great, you're... You're facing the chasm. Mm-hmm. You want to cross that chasm. You got to let go of something. Right. You got to let it go. What do I need to let go of? What do you need to let go of? You know. Yeah. What was the name of that young man? Nobody knows. Yeah. Do we know Peter's name? Oh yeah. We know John's name. Oh yeah. We know Matthew's name. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Nobody knows this young man's name. He is faded into obscurity. Yeah. Now, this could become eventually in his story a message about salvation because he's young enough, he's young enough that he's going to see Christ walk to Calvary and be crucified. Yeah, so yeah. He, he's going to live to see the atonement. And right. then he's going to have to make a choice. He's going to have to make a decision. Yeah. But at this moment, uh, he's got a lot in common with a lot of American Christians in the 21st century uh, we like our stuff, we, we like do. our position, we like our freedom, we like our comfort, we like our self-determination. Yeah. And, and we got to surrender that yeah. to God, to, breathe, to, to cross that breach yeah. between good and great, to let go of what we think is ours and take hold of what he offers, which is so much more. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm reminded of a story uh, of a family and a family gets this priceless vase. And it's just been passed down from generation to generation. It's more valuable than their home, right? There's so much worth that's been placed and it's of infinite value to this family. And every generation it's been passed down. And this young couple who gets it decides it's a good idea to have a kid, right? <laughs> and this... This kid they have is a boy. He's a rambunctious boy. Uh-oh. And this boy plays and just, just when he plays, it's just wild. It's loud. Yeah. 
And is his name Grayson? I think okay. so. <laughs> he's in middle school right now. And, and so this kid is playing. He's got his little toy car, his little cheap Hot Wheels. He, he bought it. It's like, it's yeah. a knockoff Hot Wheels. It's not even the right one. And, and so he, he's got this cheap car and he's playing and he sees this little tunnel the car needs to go into. Uh-uh. Oh, and this tunnel is provided by the vase. He sticks his hand in there with the car and he realizes, uh-oh, my hand's stuck. I can't get it out. And he starts making all this ruckus and this noise and mom finally feel, figures out this isn't normal ruckus and noise, right? This is, this is an issue. So she comes in and she sees the hand is stuck. She, she looks for the butter. She looks for the olive oil. <laughs> and she, she's trying to get the hand out. The kid's screaming back and forth and, and, and nothing's happened. Nothing's budging. Uh-oh. And the mom knows what she has to do. Hammer time. It's hammer time. MC Hammer. So she, she goes and finds a hammer and she shatters the vase. And then the rubble of all that vase, she sees his hand was closed. It was clenched. And if he would have just let go of that cheap knockoff Hot Wheels, he could have pulled his hand out. Mm-hmm. And that thing that is of so much more value would have remained. Mm-hmm. But he could not let go. And I think that's exactly part of the story with the rich young man. Mm-hmm. As some of our stories were, we're unwilling to let go when God is, is calling out to us and he's saying, I, I need you. just this one thing, man, like your mess, your sin, wherever you've been, whatever you've been going through, let go, hand that yeah. off and you'll have something of infinite value. But we're not always willing to do that. No, we're not. Have you ever heard of Jim Elliott? Yeah, yeah. Jim Elliott, missionary. I mean, a hero to all missionaries around the world. They know who Jim Elliott is because of his legacy. Jim Elliott, uh, as a young man, he he attended Wheaton College in Illinois, surrendered his life to to missions. I mean, heavily devoted to the Lord uh, and his, his work, so much so that he wouldn't even marry his sweetheart, Elizabeth, yeah. uh, until she learned foreign languages so that she could join him on the mission yeah. field. That was who he was. But when he was, when he was like 20, he journaled, and these journals have been preserved, and, and uh, he wrote something when he was just a very, very young man, his early 20s. He wrote this. I think we have it on the screen. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which you cannot lose. Yeah. That's profound. It I never is. wrote anything that profound. Uh, no. no and, I'm working on it. But it's and Jim there. Elliott went to Ecuador. He and his wife, they ministered in Ecuador. And he learned of a, an unreached people. Yeah. Deep in the jungle, the Huarani tribe, also known as the Aucas. And he devised a plan. He got some other guys together. And they were going to go out and they were going to try to make contact with this unreached people. Mm. And they began to circle in a plane uh, so that the people could see them. And they eventually landed uh, near a riverbed and they were taking their time and they they set up a camp and they were devising a plan to to make their foray into the jungle and and, uh, meet with these Huarani uh, tribal people and to present the gospel to them. But before they could do it... uh, a 10-member band of warriors Mm -hmm. from that Huarani village made their way into the encampment and killed every single missionary, including Jim Elliott. Ran them through Mm. with spears. Wow. And he literally lived out what he'd written in his journal as a young adult who has surrendered to the cause of Christ. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But the, the really amazing part of that story is that his young wife, now a widow, looking after a little one who is now in a, a fatherless little child, rather than, than have resentment and hatred in her heart toward those tribal people, no. she picked up the mantle of her husband and she made her way into that jungle and she made contact. Yeah. This woman made contact with that tribe and she 
presented the gospel to them and led many of them to faith in Christ. Yeah, wow. And I just went, a few months ago, I went to Boone, North Carolina, and I toured the, the headquarters of Samaritan's Purse, and I went and visited the warehouse where they assemble all of the Operation Christmas Child boxes, and we're very yeah. involved with OCC, and get ready, we're going to ramp that up soon. Cheryl, you out here? All right, <laughs> there she is. And so... I went into that warehouse, and on the wall of the lobby in that warehouse is a huge blown-up photograph of an Ecuadorian man standing in a boat, rowing, (laughs) and that boat is loaded with Operation Christmas Child boxes, and he's got a huge grin, ear to ear, and our guide pointed at that picture. He goes, how many of you know the story of Jim Elliott? And of course, we all did, and he said, that man was one of the warriors that killed Jim Elliot. And here he was with the love of Christ on his face, countenance of joy. He's going to deliver packages in the name of Jesus to unreached little children in the jungles of Ecuador. I love that. Isn't that amazing? That's so good. I love that. And so when I think of that story right there, uh, Hmm. I would hope that we would all take that to heart. Are we going to be the, the kind of person who is not a fool, right. who is not like that rich young ruler that walked away? Are we going to be willing to give up surrender? Right. Surrender. Doesn't mean you've got to take a vow of poverty. Are you willing to <laughs> surrender to the Lord what you can't keep, what you can't take with you yeah. to gain that abundant life that he has purposed for you and I to have? And uh, I, I pray that, that we would all be willing to do that. And Phil, I want to pray for you yeah. as you embark on young adults ministry. Absolutely. In fact, I would love it, Phil, if you just kind of make your way down here yeah. and stand right in the center. For sure. And I would like to invite some of you who feel led to do this just to come up and, and just lay hands on Phil and let's pray for this, this guy. We've never undertaken young adults ministry here at the Lamb's Chapel. And we want to kind of commission him in that. He's done great ministry here at TLC. He's been a faithful steward of our high school uh, ministry. And, uh, but we're, we're going to pray for him because he is wandering into the jungle of young adults ministry. And he is no fool. And so uh, we're, we're going to pray over Phil right now. And if, and if you want to come up and, and be a part of that, you can. We want him to know he's not alone. He's not alone. He's prayed for, and we're going to ask that God will do mighty, unexpected things in this ministry. I believe in young adults ministry wholeheartedly. We've got a college over here, Elon University. We've got a lot of little colleges in our area. I see young adults here in this area. They're coming here. This is a great place to live. It's a great place to work, and we want to, we want to be attentive to that. So would you, would you stretch a hand out toward Phil if you're not up here at the front? And let's bow together and let's ask God to do mighty things in this ministry. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray for Phil Harden. We thank you for him. We thank you for Michaela. We thank you for those, those two beautiful little ones, God, that you've blessed them with. And God, you have raised him up for such a time as this. We thank you that he is on our team. Uh, I love this young man. And I just pray that your power will be all over him this year. And I pray that you will give him wisdom and that you'll give him uh, clarity of thought, that you'll give him vision, that you will help him to see as you see, that you, you will uh, prompt him, God, uh, to strike up conversations with young adults and that you will use him as a, as a tremendous force in their lives, God, as he builds those relationships, as he makes disciples, as he crafts a strategy and a plan, and he builds a team, because this is not some lone ranger out on the frontier all by his lonesome, God. He's going to build a team. Give him the wherewithal to do that, Lord. And uh, may we come alongside him and hold his arms up in prayer, and we just pray for the blessings that are going to come through this ministry. And we give you praise in advance, God, because uh, every church, every church needs to be about the task of raising up new disciples. And so we look at this young generation, uh, God, and we know that all of our future leaders are going to come from that. And so we trust you that you're going to uh, make the ministry of this church thrive in ways that it has never known before. And we, we praise you in advance for all of that. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. 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 Thank you. Amen. God bless you guys. I'm, I'm so glad to be back. Uh, Lord be with you as you uh, finish out the week, and we will see you on Sunday.